Chapter 14 of the Rapion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Der Fragwürdiger. Serapion by Francis Stevens. Chapter 14. So like him. Around 2 p.m. I was taken before Magistrate Patterson and my bail set in the sum of $3,500. Arthur Turn, second vice president of the Colossus Trust Company, having appeared as my bondsman, the matter of my liberty pending the inquest to be held the following morning was soon arranged. I left the court in Mr. Turn's company. Niels Berquist I had not seen, but was given to understand that he had been remanded without bail. I had pleaded in vain for a chance to talk with him. Mr. Turn was kindness personified, though I inferred from one or two remarks he let fall that the colossus Leonine president was not pleased. The morning papers had featured the affair with bloodhound headlines. They had got my name. The barber and Hutchinson failure was resurrected. The colossus itself stalked in massive dignity across one column, irrelevantly capping a brutal slaying in haunted house, and when I saw that, I knew that not pleased was a mild description for Wensethart's probable emotions. The bizarre character of Alicia, the nature of the wound, and the ghastly inappropriateness of the weapon which affected it had appealed to the reportorial fancy with diversely picturesque results. A plain murder, with no more apparent mystery attached than this one, would have passed with slight attention. But though Alicia was not a professional medium, it appeared that she and Moore had a certain reputation. In hinting to me of the latter's tempestuous exit from the Psychic Research Association, Niels had spared mentioning Alicia as the bone of contention. I now learned that she had been a country girl, the daughter of a hotelkeeper in a tiny Virginian village where Moore had spent two or three autumn weeks. Discovering in her what he regarded as supernormal powers, he wished to bring her north for further study. On her father strangely objecting to the treatment of his daughter as a specimen, Moore had settled the difficulty by offering marriage. After the wedding he did bring her north, educated her, and finally presented her to the association as a prodigy well worth their attention. Unfortunately, after several remarkable seances, she was convicted of fraud in flagrant degree. It was through the slightly heated arguments ensuing that Muir was asked to resign his directorship. The fantastic dispute had amused the lay public intermittently through a dull summer, but I was off in the mountains that year with Van, and what news we read was mostly on the sporting pages, whither the pros and cons of spiritualistic debate are not wont to penetrate. But all that was raked up now as source for the news of Muir's sensational death, and having acquired a certain personal interest in spiritualism, I read it. Following Mr. Turn's advice and my own inclination, I went straight home. No need to rehearse all I endured that day. Roberta's smilingly tearful consolations were the worst, I think, for my father's. Clay, son, you're right to stand by your friend. Ran a close second. He said it because I refused to hear a word against Niels and insisted that the fault had not been his. Though I would not go into the details of what had taken place in Moore's library, I stuck at that one truth, and Dad, at least, who had taken a fancy to Niels the evening he dined at our house, believed me. Altogether, however, it was a bad afternoon, and that night in my bedroom the face came again. I knew it was he, 
though the room was dark and I could not see him clearly. He had become so like as that to a material being. You have done well, he began, but to make one small criticism, you must learn not to blush so easily. When your father commanded your loyalty, you reddened and stammered till, if you had not been among friends, suspicion might have been roused. My confusion only lasted a moment, I defended. Then I remembered. You go, I said. What do I want of you and your criticisms or advice? You have brought me enough unhappiness. I am a sneak and a criminal, and all through you. Ingratitude is the only real crime, he retorted sententiously. Always be grateful and show it. You have brought unhappiness on yourself, and it is I who point the way out. So far you have followed my advice. Why turn on me now? Liar! I fairly hissed. If you can read my thoughts, you know that I have planned otherwise than you would have me. I am doing as Niels wished without regard to you, and not for the sake of myself. And let me tell you this, if there arises the slightest prospect that my friend will not be cleared, I shall confess. Tomorrow will decide it. If things go badly for him at the inquest, my people will have to suffer. The shame and loss he is trying to save them from would be nothing, then, to the shame involved by silence. Had the face possessed shoulders, I know he would have shrugged them. You are wrong, but we need not discuss that. I tell you in advance that your friend will be held for willful murder. Did you know quite all that I know, you would not hope for a different indictment. The strings of my heart contracted. I passed a breathless moment of realization. Then, tomorrow I confess, I said firmly. Tomorrow you will choose a lawyer for your friend and begin the work which will surely achieve his release. You do not know that. You have admitted that you are capable of mistakes. Not in a case of this kind. I possess a wide knowledge of facts which enables to be very sure that your friend will get his release. I am your unswerving ally, and remember that I have not only wisdom, but some power. Oh, you are... leave me, I cried aloud. In God's name, go! The faintly seen oval of his smooth face faded, though more slowly than in the cell at the station house. I heard a soft swish of slippered feet in the hall. Someone rapped lightly and opened my door. Clay, dear, said my mother, did you call? Are you ill? No, I had a bad dream and awoke, crying out because of it. One can't wonder at that, she came and sat on the edge of my bed. Such an awful thing for you to be involved in. Please, dear son, keep to your own class after this. Trouble always comes of mingling with queer bohemian people who have no standards or or morals. Niels Bergquist has the highest standard of any man I know. I was fiercely defensive. There was a pause of silence. Then, in the dark, she leaned and kissed my forehead. You are so like him, she murmured. I groaned. If only that were true. But you are, with those blue, clear eyes of his that saw only beauty and love. He would never hear a word against a friend. Mother! You meant that I am like... Your uncle, yes, and in some strange way I feel sure that his guarding influence is really about us. Why, when I came into the room just now, I had the queerest feeling, as if it were a room in a dream, or... No, I can't convey the feeling in words. 
but the sense of his presence was in it. I do truly believe that he has returned to guard us in the midst of so much trouble. At least it would be like him. Dear, faithful, loving, lovable Serapion. End of chapter 14 Recording by Der Fragwürdige